Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Good Monday afternoon. Welcome to the final day of 2018 on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, coming up a little bit later. We'll be joined by Brian Haydad, who is in Tampa, getting set for the Outback Bowl tomorrow, Mississippi State and Iowa. Brian Scott Rippey will join us a little bit later this afternoon as well. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. At Mississippi Land Bank, they've been financing land for 100 years, and if you've got land financing needs in North Mississippi, then Mississippi Land Bank, great place to start. They're fantastic people. Uh, You can talk to them about specifically what it is that you need, what it is that you're looking for, whether it's buying a piece of property, refinancing an existing loan, maybe it's buying equipment, for the farm or uh, maybe crop loans, Mississippi Land Bank can help with all of those things. Good to be with you as we wrap up 2018, and tomorrow we'll turn the page to 2019. What's up, Michael Borky? Kind of disappointed you're back, truthfully. Oh, thanks. I was getting I was getting comfortable in your chair. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've had a bunch of days off recently, and it's been really cool. Uh, enjoyed some time off, but I got to be honest with that. you. Yeah, it was nice. Um, so what, a couple of days uh, leading up to Christmas and then Christmas Eve. Um, Christmas Day was a heck of a lot of fun at our house. Uh, kids are 8, 6, and 19 months, and they all had a big time. And then on the 26th, we all got up early and jumped in the car and drove to Dallas. And it was a, my, my kids were really good to and from in the car. I just will be honest with you, as much as I fly – um, I was not excited about the nine-hour drive both directions. <laughs> they handled it probably better than I did, uh, but it was a good trip. We got to got to be there for my brother's wedding on the uh, on the twenty seventh. He and Maggie got married and uh, took off the next day for San Diego on their honeymoon. They're having a big time there. I have not actually called and put them on the radio while on. Hey, their we honeymoon. could do that if you want to. Yeah, I don't know that they would answer um, <laughs> the the way you did. You were certainly a good sport about that. Um, San Diego's back, a great though. place. Good for them. Yeah, yeah, really beautiful. I saw some pictures that uh, that they texted us earlier, and the uh, the sun was out. The ocean looked great. They're uh, having a big time, just kind of relaxing a little bit. So uh, happy for them. I, I got to be honest with you. Toward the end of last week, uh, we got back on Thursday, Friday, just kind of hung around the house and spent some time with kids and. I uh, got ready to go to Athens this past weekend for basketball. Friday was the day, though, that I was like, eh, well, Borky's got it, and I've got this day off that I need to take, but I was missing it. I was ready to uh, get back. So a nice, uh, nice break for the holidays. Good to be back. Yes, we are with you on New Year's Eve. Yes, we will be with you tomorrow on New Year's Day. 
So uh, if you're out and about, or if you're a Mississippi State fan, obviously you'll be locked in on the Outback Bowl tomorrow. And it should end just before we finish things up. Brian Haydad will join us from Tampa. We'll talk some with him uh, about the game. And tomorrow, in some ways, will be kind of a post-game show for uh, for Mississippi State and Iowa. We'll get to other things as well as there are a bunch of bowl games that are happening tomorrow, including the Rose Bowl, uh, that will begin while we are on the air. So that should be uh, should be a lot of fun. A busy weekend. A lot happening this weekend. And if you are in the sports world and you didn't get fired yesterday or today, congratulations. Uh, maybe you should count your lucky stars as well because it felt like there was a lot of movement Yesterday, as the NFL games were ending, you immediately had some announcements of coaches that were getting fired. You've had several more of those today. Um, Mark Richt, yesterday, uh, announces that he's stepping down, retiring as head football coach of Miami. Uh, the Hurricanes wasted no time in going and getting Miami, uh, Miami native Manny Diaz, who was the defensive coordinator, had taken the head coaching job at Temple. Temple, in the course of about a month, is now collecting six million dollars, or maybe six and a half million dollars, in um, I don't know reparations, <laughs> buyout money <laughs> for uh, for coaches that have uh, left. Jeff Collins leaves, takes the Georgia Tech job. His buyout was like two and a half million. Uh, Manny Diaz had only been there a few days, couple of weeks, I guess. Uh, his buyout was four million dollars, but uh, the call of home was strong for Manny Diaz. What else this weekend? Clemson just annihilated Notre Dame. Alabama crushed Oklahoma early. Then it got interesting. Then it turned into a shootout. Bama-Clemson going to meet next Monday for the national championship. Stop me if you've heard that before, right? Um, Kind of become accustomed to that. And there are lots of people that seem to have fatigue about that particular matchup. But there is one thing, Borky. Those are the two best teams in the country. And the two best teams in the country, the two teams that have been the best in the country all season long, are going to play for the national championship. So ultimately, that's kind of what you want in the national championship game. It's just, it's not new. Yeah, that and that's the goal, right? The playoff is working. It, and that's where, I, I think the media in general, when they saw such a negative reaction to the outcome of the games, they assumed it was because college football fans don't like the playoff. No, it's they don't like that we're watching the same teams again. This is four years in a row now, Clemson and Alabama meeting in the playoff and three of four in the national championship. That's boring. It's going to be a high-level game. It's going to be fun, and there's athletes all over the field, NFL guys. But at some point, I want something different. And the last two meetings – well, two of the last three meetings – or is it the last three meetings have been just fantastic? Last year was not as good, right? It was a semifinal game yeah, last it, year. Yeah, it was slow and, and methodical for Alabama. But the previous two meetings were just absolutely spectacular. Deshaun Watson uh, against Alabama, he was spectacular in the national championship game. And then the following year, Alabama winning uh, against Clemson in the national championship game. That was a great game as well. So the hope is that that's what you get, right? That, that you get the matchup from two years ago, uh, that you get the matchup from three years ago, not the matchup that you had last season in a semifinal game. And if that happens, then it's going to be fun. And we'll enjoy watching the national championship game, Alabama 
a favorite in the game, but not an overwhelming favorite. Less than a touchdown, right? I think it's seven points. Okay, so it's gone to seven. I think open maybe at six and a half, uh, came down to six, and then has worked its way back up to seven. Um, interestingly enough, the SEC championship game, the game between Alabama and Georgia, had a higher television rating than the semifinal game between Notre Dame and Clemson. It just wasn't much of a game. Uh, Clemson kind of methodically pulled away and got uh, got the win. Trevor Lawrence really good in that game. It was the final weekend of the NFL before we get to the playoffs. The Saints didn't really play many people, did not look good not playing many people, but it just didn't matter. If you're a Saints fan, are you pleased with how yesterday went? In a sense, yes, because nobody got hurt, but the starters did get beat up on by the Panthers' third-string quarterback for a while there early in the game. And I imagine the Panthers yesterday? Uh Kyle Allen. Okay. And I imagine gotcha. the guys that were in, for example, Sheldon Rankins needed one sack to get a four hundred thousand dollar bonus. So there were I mean, there was incentive to play for a couple of them, but I imagine by and large it was please let's just not get hurt and be ready for the playoffs. Playoff field is set. We'll take a look at that coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Mentioned Mark Rick stepping down, Florida. Just beat the brakes off of Michigan in the uh, in the Peach Bowl early on Saturday. That was the first game of the day on Saturday in Atlanta. By the way, you know who was um, who was at the game in Athens? So I did the uh, the uh, Georgia UMass game last night, and our cameras in the second half caught uh, Jim Harbaugh sitting in the stands watching hmm. his brother-in-law coach. He probably should have been game planning instead of watching basketball. But I digress. Well, who, what's he game planning for right now? <laughs> See, working on the the, uh, something the, the, out. the spring game plan or, or uh, that kind trip of to, to Rome that is really going to benefit his program. Yeah, I, I like the overseas trips for them, but uh, it's cool that's for the players. A, an altogether but... different thing. Uh, South Carolina, Jake Bentley, whoo! Virginia blanks South Carolina twenty-eight nothing in the Belk Bowl. That is not the way you want to finish the season. If you're South Carolina, you remember a year ago, South Carolina beat Michigan in a bowl game and really thought it was kind of like the launching pad into this season. Mm -hmm. Ton of injuries for the Gamecocks this year. And whatever that game, I I don't know how real the momentum, the carryover of a bowl game is into the next year. I, I think that's an idea that's overplayed a little bit. But whatever momentum South Carolina had a year ago as a result of their bowl win going into 2018, what's the opposite of that? after getting beat 28-0 by Virginia going into next season. Basketball for Ole Miss and Mississippi State over the weekend. Both were impressive in their final non-conference tune-ups. That was the final non-conference game of the year for Mississippi State. It's all SEC play from here on out. Ole Miss will participate in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. So January 26th, they'll have one more non-conference game against Iowa State. And Ole Miss has made it official. Rich Rodriguez has been named the new offensive coordinator for Matt Luke and Ole Miss. All of that, good to be back. Good to be with you on the final day of 2018 in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Coming up next from Tampa, Florida, Brian Haydad joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the studio. And from Tampa, Florida, Brian Haydad joins us right now. The weather today in Mississippi has been weird. 
It was warm this morning. It poured down rain, at least in north Mississippi, but there was a front that kind of stretched across most of the western edge of the state. That front continues to move to the east. Behind it, some colder air. It's just been yucky. I don't think that is the case in Tampa, Florida, where weather.com tells me that currently it is 81 degrees if you're worrying about a bowl game day forecast. An 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff tomorrow for Mississippi State and Iowa. High tomorrow of 81 degrees, only a 10% chance of rain, and mostly sunny. Is that Brian Haydad weather? What's up, my man? I can't relate to you on those uh, those weather concerns y'all are having in Mississippi. Hope everybody stays safe. But uh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful down here uh, in Tampa. I'd never been I'd never been to Tampa before, and uh, it is really a fantastic city. Having a great time down here. A lot of a lot of Bulldog fans have made the trip too. I went to the uh, MSU uh, alumni event yesterday at Three Daughters uh, Brewing. I ran into a lot of fans of of my podcast and of this show, Richard, and they all said you know the same thing. Keep, keep up the good work, and. Uh, yeah, it looks like it's going to be a good crowd for Mississippi State and what should be a pretty uh, pretty exciting bowl game uh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning slash afternoon. So you've seen lots of Mississippi State people, and you're kind of congregating in the areas where Mississippi State fans are hanging out. What about on the other side? Iowa bringing a big crowd as well? Yeah, I've heard from some people. I haven't been out to the beach, and uh, people said the Iowa has taken over the beach. And my thought process on that is, well, state fans, people from the South, you know, we go to the beach, what, a couple times a year. You know, it's not a big deal for us. They're from Iowa. They're going to the beach. <laughs> yeah, that makes I've seen sense. some Iowa fans out today. Uh, I, went, I went downtown uh, for lunch and went out to a couple other places. And I've seen some a good Iowa crowd, too. I think it's going to be a, a pretty decent bowl game crowd for, for this one. Does it feel like there's a uh, like a, a high level of excitement for this game? I, I mean, Iowa's played in the Outback Bowl a bunch. It's not a, a new experience for them. Uh, it is a new experience for Mississippi State, and these are two teams that, that don't meet. I mean, you're, you're talking about Iowa yeah. out of the Big Ten, Mississippi State out of the SEC, not like they're playing non-conference games. So is there is there some excitement about the matchup? I think so. Uh, you know, talking to Mississippi State fans, they're all very excited to be here. And th- this was the bowl game State wanted. You know, we, we go back to that last, you know, right after the Egg Bowl, and you were you were looking at bowl games and matchups, and there was a lot of concern, you know, what, with what happened with the uh, the Texas A&M LSU game that that was going to upset the Apple Card, and State was going to get pushed down a notch uh, to maybe the Liberty Bowl or the Music City Bowl, and there there was a lot of concern about that. This was the bowl game State wanted to play in. Uh, freshness of the matchup. This is I don't th- I I'm 99.9% sure that these teams have never met before and if they have it's been decades since it happened. So I think the matchup plays into that. And I think it's going to be, you know, for for Mississippi State fans who who are by and large they like good old school football. Uh, this is what this game is going to be. It's going to be a defensive game, uh, a lot of running the football and it should be it should be a lot of fun for them. Two bowl games going on right now. Pittsburgh leading Stanford 13-7 to in the third quarter. That's in the Sun Bowl in El Paso. In the Red Box Bowl, Michigan State and Oregon are playing a game that is setting college football back. It is scoreless with a minute 45 to go the in the second play, quarter. Man, that was brutal. Yeah, it, it was really bad. Uh, that game is on Fox, and uh, Fox Sports just... Um, they just tweeted a uh, a video like highlight. It was of a third and three conversion. Ooh. It's like Oregon keeps the drive alive with a third and three conversion. Here's the highlight. Yeah, yeah, not like not like third and three, and they went seventy eight yards for a touchdown. Like third and three, and they moved the chains to keep the drive they threw alive. Threw a dig route, and the guy scooped it up and first down. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Missouri and Oklahoma State playing in the Liberty Bowl right now. That's late in the first quarter. Oklahoma State leading that game 7-3. to Earlier today in the Military Bowl in Washington, D.C., kind of yucky conditions. Cincinnati 35-31 over Virginia Tech. So Virginia Tech finishes their year 6-7. and Luke Fickle and Cincinnati go 11-2. and That's a heck of a season. Yeah. Virginia Tech's first losing season since 1992. Wow. Does that change anything with how people view Justin Fuente in that job or just kind of one of those years where injuries stacked up? I think, you know, you give everybody one bad year, don't you? And then you sort of see what happens. So if they bounce back next year, Fuente goes right back to the top coaching list. But if they have back-to-back bad seasons, and then, yeah, then you got to wonder about them. Uh, two more games coming up later tonight. Northwestern and Utah in the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. That's usually a good football game. The Holiday Bowl has produced a lot of good matchups through the year. It's usually a Pac-12, Big Ten matchup. That's what you've got tonight with uh, Utah at nine and four, ranked seventeenth in the country. Northwestern at eighty-five, eight and five. They're twenty-second in the country. I thought it was interesting that uh, the news kind of emerged yesterday that the Packers want to talk to Pat Fitzgerald uh, about their head coaching opening. And a lot of people who've said, well, Pat Fitzgerald will just stay put at Northwestern forever, said that's one job where he might actually take the interview yeah. and kind of explore that. you got to figure, I mean, grew up in, North, you know, in that area of the country. The Packers have got to hold some reverence to him, I would imagine. You know, whether or not you're a Packer fan, being the head coach of the Green Bay Packers holds some weight. So, yeah, I agree. There's not a, I don't know how many college jobs Pat Fitzgerald would leave for, but the Green Bay Packers call, he's going to at least take the phone call. He's going to listen to what they have to say. Much different time slot this year for the Gator Bowl. The Tax Slayer Gator Bowl coming up tonight at 6.30. That's a game that traditionally has been a New Year's Day game and it's been played at some different time slots. NC State out of the ACC at 9-3. and three. Texas A&M at 8-4, and four, obviously, out of the SEC. Aggies are a 7.5-point favorite. That's one that could be fun to watch tonight. Yeah, that should be a good game. I think A&M will win, but you know you got a match up there with you know, Ryan Finley, who we talked about while you were gone last week. Has got some some first round buzz as an NFL draft prospect. Uh, Jimbo Fisher coming back a bit of a storyline there. I'm sure MSU fans, after three trips to that bowl when it was played at you know first thing in the morning on New Year's Day, are are just so excited to say they moved it to New Year's Eve. I know I know they're very happy about that. No, yeah. that's, that's sarcasm. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, all right. Mississippi State and Iowa, Odd Shark, has some uh, some numbers that are worth taking a look at. In their last five games against the spread, Iowa is just one and four. In their last five games against the spread, Mississippi State is four and one. So we're not talking about wins necessarily. We're just talking about against right. the number that Vegas sets but for the Iowa. Is four and one, and it's last, so it matches up. Yeah, yeah, it does. In the, not not the case for Iowa. They're not one and four right. in their last five games, but um, uh, those numbers do go hand in hand for Mississippi State. What about the total? The over under for Iowa. The over has hit in four of their last five games. For Mississippi State, the total has gone under in eight of their last nine games, and it feels like that's partly because people just continue to undervalue Mississippi State's defense. Yeah, I mean, how many weeks during the season when we talked to Lee Sterling, who, I mean, a lot of his picks are right on the money, and he was normally nailing, you know, who was going to cover, but he would pick somebody to play Mississippi State and go score 20 points, and I would just give you a look talking about here. And looking at Odd Shark, it's sort of the same thing here. They, their predicted final score, they have, them, they have the overhitting at 28-27. So we're saying that Iowa's going to score more points on Mississippi State than Alabama did. 
I mean, I just I have a lot of trouble seeing that happening. I think State uh, is is going to hold Iowa to points pretty easily. And I mean, and I talked about this on the pod. It's not really smack talk. State gives up 12 points a game outside of Kentucky and Alabama. State gave up five touchdowns in the other 10 games. They only gave up one touchdown to LSU. They only gave they gave up no touchdowns to Auburn, who put 63 on Purdue, who Iowa. I don't see Iowa scoring a lot of points in this game. I could be wrong, but nothing I see from the stats and from the trends makes me think that Iowa's going to score more than 14 points in this game. What about Mississippi State's offense against Iowa's defense? Uh, I, I saw somebody point out earlier, I guess it was last week, You know, Joe Moore had offenses when he was at Penn State the last couple of times they played against Iowa, put up big numbers in those games. I guess it was two years ago where you had just the incredible finish in Iowa City yeah. where Penn State uh, scored on the final play of the game. Trace McSorley made that big-time throw to uh, to Saquon Barkley. Can Mississippi State, with a month to get ready for this Iowa defense, have an offense that looks maybe better than it has at any point this year? That's the question, right? It, it, Mississippi State's offense is what's going to determine this game because I, I, State's defense has shown up every week. I don't think there's any reason to think that won't happen, but MSU against top uh, 30 defenses this year, well, that's their four losses, and they scored 16 points total. In those, you know, that's that's a cause for concern because Iowa's defense is ranked higher than any defense Mississippi State has played this year. They're seventh in the country. Alabama was 10th. I think uh, Kentucky 21st, Florida 27, LSU 29. So State has not put up big numbers against highly ranked defenses. Uh, now, obviously, you can say it's, you know, it's different to SEC and Big Ten, and we'll see how that plays out. But you know, I'm interested to see. That's that's the matchup I'm watching. When we talk, talk to some Iowa people, they all tell me the same thing. It's the, the weakness of the Iowa defense is their secondary. So I expect Joe Moorhead and Nick Fitzgerald to test that early. And if they can get the passing game going, it's really hard to stop Mississippi State. But if they don't, this is going to be a low-scoring game that State's going to have to grind it out on the ground to win. Different teams, different defenses. I don't know that this really matters other than it just kind of strikes me as intriguing. The over-under in the Alabama-Oklahoma playoff game was 80. 80. The total, the over-under for this game between Mississippi State and Iowa, 40 and a half. And I think it'll hit the under. It's remarkable how big of a difference there is in those two numbers. Got more coming up with Brian Haydad from warm and sunny Tampa after this. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm with you on this Monday afternoon, New Year's Eve. Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the studio. Brian Haydad in sunny and warm Tampa, Florida. We're living vicariously today. <laughs> well, I wish you were, man. We'll we go out tonight, have a, have a nice dinner, have a little New Year's Eve celebration, and then football in the morning. Yeah, I've got uh, – I have young – Little people coming to my house for uh, for New Year's Eve tonight. It's a little bit different New Year's Eve than some have been, so it'll be fun. I think. I, we'll I don't know I what time they'll all be in in bed asleep, but uh, we'll see. Um, what what stands out to you about this game tomorrow? I, I know we talked some about Mississippi State's defense. I know you said a second ago that that you think the story will be what Mississippi State's offense is able to do. Uh, against Iowa. So so as you go in, what are the things that you're really looking at closely? I, like like we said, you know, I want to see if MSU can actually test 
that I, uh, you know, that Iowa's defensive line is very good. Uh, it's it's sort of similar to Mississippi State's, not 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 as uh, as talented, but they have the depth. They 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 can put eight or nine guys out there that they feel pretty comfortable comfortable about. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to watch that matchup for sure because if State when they go on offense, I think Moorhead and, and, and Fitzgerald will test deep, see if they can get Mitchell or Guidry open on some deep balls and, and, and have themselves have a chance there. On the other side of the ball, you know, Iowa's a lot of their passing game runs through their tight ends. Now, they're missing one of their two uh, really good tight ends, Noah Fant. He will sit this game out. He's a projected first-round pick. Uh, but T.J. Hawkinson's going to play. He's the Mackey Award winner. But for me, when I've thought about it, you know, I think State their, the way their defense works, Errol Thompson and, and Willie Gay are the kind of linebackers that can they can hold the, their own against even the best tight ends because they're both big, physical guys, and, and they're not going to get overpowered. But at the same time, they can run and they can get out in coverage. You know, Errol Thompson was one of the best pass-covering linebackers this year. If you look at uh, the guys over at PFF Focus, they were pretty uh, – pretty high on him as far as what he could do in, in the passing game. So if that's Iowa's game plan is to try to involve the tight end, I think State can do a good job of swallowing that up. I think State defensively, I've been saying it for the past two weeks, is going to really not be a question of can State put up enough points to win. I think that they can. Um, even if they can't get the passing game going, I think they can run the ball and just sort of grind it out. But if State's able to get the passing game going, Richard, it's going to be a really, really hard day for Iowa uh, tomorrow couple of numbers defensively for Mississippi State. They have allowed fewer than 14 points nine times this season. So in 12 games, nine times, they've held opponents to less than 14 points. Mississippi State has given up a total of 12 touchdowns this season. Both of those numbers, the nine games holding opponents under 14 points and the 12 touchdowns allowed are best in all of FBS football. Mississippi State doesn't have the number one ranked total defense, but those are two numbers that are going to allow you to win a bunch of football games. Yeah, I think I mentioned a second ago, but State gave up four touchdowns against Kentucky. They gave up three touchdowns to Alabama. That means they only gave up five touchdowns. I mean that that is when you when you try to put your mind around that stat, it's difficult because you think about college football and what it is these days. I mean it's it's for the most part it's teams moving up and down the field and teams averaging thirty plus points a game, and you just don't do it against Mississippi State's defense, you know. So when I see something like we just saw with that odd shark uh, prediction, somebody giving twenty seven points to Iowa, I, ha- I have a lot of trouble a buying that and b I wonder what they're what are they watching, what are they seeing on film, what are they seeing in their in, in statistics trends that I'm not seeing that makes you think that that's even a remote possibility. It would be a huge upset to me if Iowa got 17 points. I would be really surprised if that happened. I think Iowa is going to be somewhere between 10 and 13 points, if not less than that. Um, and that if they're going to win, they're really going to have to shut down the MSU offense. If you walk through the schedule this year, two field goals allowed against Stephen F. Austin in the opener, mm-hmm. a touchdown and a field goal in... Game two against Kansas State. Yeah. Touchdown and a field goal against Louisiana. Mm-hmm. A the, the four touchdowns against Kentucky, which you mentioned a second right. ago. Right. Touchdown and two field goals against Florida. That was in a loss. I mean, that's a game right. where you give up 13 points and lose by a touchdown. And you lost. Yeah. Um, against Auburn. Was that three field goals or was there three a mixed, missed extra point? No. So three field, three field goals, goals against Auburn, no touchdowns. Right. Um, gave up. One touchdown and what four field goals to LSU? Yeah, and that touchdown came on a three-play, three-yard drive after a, after right. an interception. 
Uh, against Texas A&M, it was a touchdown and two field goals. Mm-hmm. Against Louisiana Tech, only a field goal. Mm-hmm. Gave up the three touchdowns to Alabama, but that was an offense that was scoring, what, over 40 going in? 50. 50. At that point in the season. Okay. Yeah. Two field goals against Arkansas and a field goal against Ole Miss. I mean, that's something out of the 50s, man. That's that's not college football in 2018. You don't see those kind of numbers. I mean, and that's the other – That's the, I guess that's the other storyline here, Richard, is – Will a ninth win erase a lot of the disappointment of those those early season losses? The loss I think that everybody it sticks with everybody is is Florida because of all the, the the personal nature of it and what happened with Dan Mullen. And at the same time, if State wins nine games, that's four of the last five years you've had nine wins or more. I mean, that's a historic run for Mississippi State. You feel like the program is on good footing going into the future. I'm interested to see what the spring will bring, obviously. But I, I think a ninth. Win and I think every solidly on board with Joe Moorhead going into 2019. So, given what we've talked about with the defense, and, and, and there, I don't mean this in any way to be a downer going into a bowl game, you, you look at the overall season, is there some disappointment that 8-4 and four was the final number given just how dominant the defense was and the fact that there was a three-year starter or three-and-a-half-year starter at quarterback? I think so. I think there there has to be a little bit of disappointment because there was so much hype around this being the team that could finally step up and, and really challenge for an SEC West title. And then you came out on fire in those first three games. I mean, you were averaging you know 40 points a game, and, and it was just the way that it went down. Even if you lose to, to Kentucky 28-24, I think everybody's like, okay, well, you went on the road, and maybe Kentucky's better than we thought they were, and, and whatever. But it was just such a, you know, it went from you about zero to sixty to zero. It, that's what happened. So you had that stretch where the offense was just so bad in those in those early losses. I mean, I guess Alabama it just is what it is, but they were so bad against Kentucky and Florida and LSU. So yeah, I, I think there was some disappointment. I think it's largely been erased, you know, because the way they finished and winning the Egg Bowl and then winning an, uh, the bowl game and, and getting a ninth win, you're probably going to finish in the top 15. I mean, it's it's difficult for Mississippi State to, to be disappointed in that because historically that is a great season in Starkville. And, and like I said, I think the the future is. Right here, you know the recruiting is is a is, it looks like it's taking a little bit of a step up from when pass finishes out. But right now, I think Moorhead is is is, on, is in a good place with the MSU fan base. Yeah, and, and it's funny how you know at three and zero people were excited, at three and two people were frustrated, and that was in that stretch where Mississippi State was really trying to throw the ball a lot, and and it felt like didn't ta- I think people felt like we're not taking advantage of. A really good offensive line and a really good running game, and and then as the season kind of unfolded the rest of the way, I think people kind of got on board with, um, and, and I guess it really finished with the, the dominating performance in the Egg Bowl to to really feel pretty good about the season. Yeah, it's it's difficult when you when you win the Egg Bowl by that large a margin in Oxford. I mean, people are going to be even the most embittered Mississippi State fan is going to be excited at that point. So I think that's where we are. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in this bowl game. But if State's 9-4 and four and a top 15 team, I mean, in reality, can you say it's a little disappointing? Sure. Could you have been a little bit? But I, I don't think it, at the end of the day you can you can look back with it this season without a whole, a whole lot of, you know, the, good, the good's going to outweigh the bad when you look back at it, I think. 
Richard Cross, Brian Haydad on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That website, favorites.com. You go there, you type in your zip code, and it will uh, quickly give you the opportunity or the option to get a quote on home insurance or auto insurance, or you can bundle those two things into one policy and save money. You're dealing with great people all across the state of Mississippi. All 82 counties have Farm Bureau offices, and uh, you will be glad that you uh, you checked in. Good chance you can save some money with Mississippi Farm Bureau. Um, final game for Nick Fitzgerald. Yeah. 99 touchdowns responsible for for the senior quarterback. That's just two tie of shying, uh, tying for sixth all-time in SEC history. How is Nick Fitzgerald going to be remembered for his time in, in Starkville? You know, I asked him that question at Media Days, and I asked it a couple of times during the season. And I think at this point, now at the, here, here at the end, he'll be remembered fondly, which was it was going to be tough. You're following Dak Prescott, the greatest legend in Mississippi State. Boy, it's going to be tough for Nick Fitzgerald, but the numbers he's put up, the games he's won, three straight bowl trips, he's beaten Ole Miss twice. Uh, I, I think that uh, I think he will be remembered fondly as, as one of the, the, the best quarterbacks in MSU history, and he's got some some numbers that are going to be very difficult for somebody to break. I mean, he he may be the season quarterback uh, for, for a long, long time because. It's, it's going to be a while before somebody puts up those kind of numbers, I think. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm with you on this Monday afternoon, New Year's Eve. Good to have you along. Hey, Borky, what are you going to do for New Year's Eve tonight? We've got, now that you're married and whatnot, we've got one of those really nice restaurant here in town does that, like that New Year's five-course meal kind of thing. Yeah. So we're just doing that. I, High I, roller. Oh, I know, right? Um, One of those really nice restaurants in town. You know, five course meal and. Mm. Hey, where are you going to take me for my steak? Man, you were sweating that one out though. I know you were. Was I? Um, Alabama had a four touchdown lead in the first quarter of that game, so yes, you were sweating that one out. Yeah, I stand yes. by. I, I would pick that again too, if. Alabama decided that they were going to let Tua throw the ball around all game long. They'd have scored seventy-five points. Mm-hmm. They they made a conscious decision to run the football and shorten that game just to get out of there and move on. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Um, you know, it's interesting. You get to the end of that game, the total is 80, and Alabama's a 14-point favorite. And um, you, uh, you, the, the people that um, – there were a lot of tweets, and Chris Fowler made reference to it as well, that uh, the ending drive held a lot of significance for a lot of people. You had the, you had the total in play. Because you were sitting on 79 points in the game. And if Alabama scores that last touchdown, you hit the over, but also you have Alabama covering. Well, by not scoring a touchdown or taking a knee there at the end, they don't cover, but the under hits. And it was kind of a weird finish to the uh, to the game. There are a lot of people that, uh, that cared about that. 
Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Are you a farmer in need of land financing? Well, then Mississippi Land Bank, if you're in North Mississippi, is who you should consider dealing with. They finance land and have been doing it for 100 years. 100 years. Um, really good stuff. Fantastic people uh, at Mississippi Land Bank. Whether you're buying new land, refinancing an existing loan, dealing with crop loans, or maybe it's equipment that you need, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Online, mslandbank.com. You can find a branch location near you or grab the phone number and give them a call. Brian Scott Rippey is in the studio as well. What's up, man? Not much. How are y'all? Yeah, good. Good. Uh, interesting day today. We're going to get to uh, Ole Miss officially announcing Rich Rodriguez as the offensive coordinator coming up in just a couple of minutes. But first, let's go to some winners and losers. All I, all I, all I, all I do is win. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. All right, winners and losers from the weekend. We'll start on the football front, and I'm going to Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Um, did not win the Heisman Trophy, but probably should have. And if you watch the game on Saturday night, listen, not taking anything away from Kyler Murray, great football player, outstanding football player, and when Oklahoma looked completely dead, Kyler Murray ended up bringing them back into the game and making a game of it. He threw for 308 yards, he ran for another 109 yards, and was responsible for three touchdowns. But Tua Tonga-Valoa, coming off by far his worst performance of the year, an injury-plagued performance in the SEC championship game was surgical. 24 of 27, 318 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. It was a really good night. And did you notice, you know, the ankle has been the issue, and they've done all the rehab on it, and I'm sure it was heavily taped underneath his, his socks. No knee brace for Tonga Valoa in this game. If you watched him in the second half of the season, it seemed like every time he got knocked down, when he got up, the first thing he did was adjust that knee brace and kind of get it back into the right position. Did you notice he didn't have a knee brace on Saturday night? Yeah, and looked really comfortable, too. He did. He really did. Had a couple of running plays uh, as well. Ended up carrying it five times for nine yards. Um, so an impressive night for him. Tua Tonga-Vailoa is on the winner's list. Uh, I'm going to do a combo deal here, and I know you're not supposed to lump Ole Miss and Mississippi State together in anything, and that's fine. But I'm going to do it anyway. The non-conference basketball records for Ole Miss and Mississippi State belong in the winner's list. Mississippi State goes 12-1. and Their only loss is to a top-25 team, probably the best team in the Pac-12 in Arizona State, that was in Las Vegas, and Mississippi State just didn't play very well in that game. Just did not play very well. I know they'd love a do-over. You don't get the do-over, but 12-1 and going into league play absolutely as much as you could ask for. I mean, I, mean, I, I get what you're saying if you want to go, well, technically it's not the most you could ask for. You could be undefeated. I, I get that. But 12-1 and is a number you feel really good at going into league play, and if you look at Mississippi State's net 
rating right now, which is the the ranking system that has replaced the RPI. Bulldogs are sitting there in the top 20 at number 18 right now. So all the metrics in really good shape. And by the way, Ken Palm, if you're interested in that kind of rating metric, gives Mississippi State a better than 50% chance to win its first four conference games, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Florida, and Vanderbilt. So that 12-1 and one, if those numbers hold, could get to 16-1, and one, and then you're starting to really kind of look at things and going, man, how good could this season be if you're a Bulldog fan? Other side of the state, Ole Miss goes 10-2. and two. The two losses are to Cincinnati and who's the other one to? Butler. 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 Butler was the other loss. They'd love a redo on the Butler game. Cincinnati's a pretty good team, and they lose that in the tournament setting down in um, uh, down in Destin uh, back over over Thanksgiving. But if you're an Ole Miss basketball fan and you had looked at the schedule going into this year and said Rebels are going to be ten and two through twelve of their thirteen non-conference games, the only other non-conference game will be in the SEC Big Twelve Challenge when they play Iowa State. I think you would have been hard pressed to find anybody who wouldn't have said. You know what? I'll take that without playing a single game. Kermit Davis's team has played hard. They have played pretty good defense. The three guards have been outstanding. Brian Tyree's leading the team in scoring. Terrence Davis has been pretty consistent over the last handful of games. And Devontae Shuler in his sophomore season has been good. He's been really good. You kind of are what you are with regard to the front court for Ole Miss, and that's probably going to cost them some games in the SEC. But if their three guards play at a high level and play consistently, then Ole Miss is going to win some SEC games. How many? You know, right now, Ole Miss has put itself in a position going into SEC play to be in the conversation for postseason basketball. Will they get there? I don't know. We'll see. Because the league's really good across the board. But for Mississippi State to be 12-1 and and Ole Miss to be 10-2, and I'm putting those two guys in the winner's list. All right, I talked a bunch, Borky. Now I'll get out of the way and let you give uh, some winners or a loser, whatever you'd like. Yeah, well, I'll go quickly because we are quite short on time, and I do want to say one loser for sure. But uh, Clemson and Dabo Sweeney, seven years ago with even an average season would have gotten him fired. He was on the hot seat. He was on the fire seat and now he's built a college football power. He did it with a freshman quarterback this year. This isn't some kind of fluke. It's a program with no history of winning. They have one national championship in 1981, which is widely considered the worst year in college football history. ESPN said that, actually. Um, built a college football dynasty. He, he was an interim that had no coordinator experience, and, and he got the job and almost got fired from that job. And now he's got one of the nation's elite programs, a really cool trajectory for him. Dan Mullen. Did anybody expect Florida and Dan Mullen to win 10 games in year one with Felipe nope. Franks at quarterback? Nope. Really at impressive not, year not, one. At least him. not this guy. Not the, not me. Yeah, definitely not. His recruiting still has to pick up, but uh, really impressive first year. And then the NFL. The NFL playoffs objectively have eight teams that can win the Super Bowl in the playoffs. Four on each side. I think... The Bears, the Seahawks, the Rams, and the Saints can all win the Super Bowl from the NFC, and the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Texans can all win from the AFC. The playoffs, you want to talk about parity, they've got it. And I can't wait to watch the NFL playoffs coming up this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Wild card round starts this weekend. Um, 
kind of an interesting slate of games yesterday. You had a couple of games that mattered a whole bunch, including the uh, the Colts beating the Titans in Nashville last night. Sorry, Rippy. You predicted this a month ago. I did, to the T. I didn't know Mariota was not going to play, but other than that. Yeah. Uh, so the Colts get in, the Titans do not. Brian Scott Rippey joins us next in studio. We've got a whole bunch more coming up with you. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. How do you like that? I love it. On Super Talk Mississippi. With you, Sports Talk Mississippi on New Year's Eve. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. The Hyundai Sun Bowl in El Paso. Tight one. Stanford now leading 14-13 over Pitt, or Pittsburgh if you prefer, with under three minutes to play. Michigan State on the board against Oregon. There's now three and a half minutes to go in the third quarter in the Red Box Bowl. And the Spartans have a three-zip lead over the Ducks. Yuck. (laughs) What a game. Missouri's up 16-14 on Oklahoma State in the Liberty Bowl. It's been a fun game so far. Oklahoma State jumped out to the lead. Missouri got a field goal. Oklahoma State, uh, I guess Missouri then took the lead. Then Oklahoma State retook the lead. And then Missouri uh, back in front again, up 2 and that game is about 30 seconds until halftime in Memphis. Gray, but not too bad as far as weather goes. It's, what, uh, mid-50s? There have been been kind of weird. I don't know how close you've been paying attention, but Oklahoma State got a touchdown when a Missouri defender ran into a ref. Missouri scored on a missed false start call on one of their offensive linemen. There we go. He's turning his head looking at the TV while he talks. Oh, but yeah, I don't know. That's been a strange game. I've been watching it all afternoon. Yeah. It's uh Missouri's got the cool helmets going on. They're they're wearing the white helmets with the like cartoon tiger as opposed to like the big fancy stylized tiger that they've normally got on there. That is a nice look. Yeah. That's uh that's way good. Way good. Um all right, Rippy. So let's uh let's jump in the news of the weekend, the news of the day. Uh, I guess it was Friday night and Saturday morning when Rich Rodriguez was spotted in Oxford meeting with Matt Luke, and kind of the reports that went along with that were that the meeting or the interview, however you want to classify it, had gone well, but not to expect any news on Ole Miss hiring an offensive coordinator until after the new year. Tomorrow is when the new year begins. After that would be, you know, sometime after tomorrow, uh, word began to leak out last night, I think it was, that Ole Miss had reached a deal, uh, at least in principle, even though the contract wasn't signed uh, for Rich. And Ole Miss made that that hire official just earlier on this afternoon. It's um a pretty good hire when you look at it. So I say pretty good. That, that was underselling it somewhat. If you look at 
the situation that Ole Miss is, is currently in right now, they have, one, they have their head coach, Matt Luke, but now uh, they hired Mac McIntyre, their, Mike McIntyre, their defensive coordinator, who just a couple of years ago was the National College Football Coach of the Year head coach at the University of Colorado. Now, on, on the flip side, they have what is widely understood as the innovator of the spread option offense, who was a head coach at three separate major Power Five programs, now on staff. And you add in Jack McNell, the offensive line coach, who was the head coach at Louisiana Tech. And suddenly you go from a staff that uh, was lacking experience, especially at the coordinators. You had uh, Phil Longo, who is now at North Carolina, who had never been a coordinator at the Division One level before. And, and same thing really with Wesley McGriff. It, it, and you turn those guys over and it becomes guys that have been coaches at the major power five level it's guys that have been really successful in certain situations at the major power five level both of them have won coach of the year Uh, so just on the surface those are two really good coordinator hires and turning those positions over from what they had to what they have now is an upgrade at the offensive and defensive coordinator position just based on resume. It doesn't mean that things are automatically going to change. It doesn't mean they're going to win a bunch of games next year. But on paper, on the surface, if you're an Ole Miss fan, uh, the, the, from the resumes, they have really upgraded at, at the coordinator spot, both offensive and defensive. You will have this thought, I've already seen it in a lot of places, that Rich Rodriguez is somebody that um, runs just a run-first offense. That That's all he's going to do. He, he just puts athletes at quarterback and, and just runs the football. But truthfully, I think it's more in line with the personnel. It's like his 2014 offense at Arizona had a, a freshman quarterback throw for almost 3,800 yards. And so his, his personnel has dictated the way they have used the offense from a statistical balance standpoint. If you think it's just a run run offense, uh, you're mistaken. The 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 box scores if you want to look at it on the surface, but the the tape shows you that uh, the the passing concepts in Rich Rodriguez Rich Rodriguez's offenses are are intricate and and they exist despite some people thinking that they don't. His personnel is, has dictated how he's called an offense, and so when he steps into Ole Miss, and he's got a quarterback in Matt Corral that you've seen is a good athlete, is a guy that that can run the football when asked for, but he, he's a passing quarterback. And Rich Rodriguez is going to mold that offense around his skill set. He's not going to force Matt Corral to be Pat White, because he's not. He's not going to force that. So I've seen that narrative out there, and um, quite frankly, it's just it's unfounded based on years of of tape and and stats. They, they don't necessarily back that up. Uh, a couple texts and tweets here, and you can be a part of the show if you'd like. 601-879-4395. You can text us. What do you think about Ole Miss hiring Rich Rodriguez as their offensive coordinator? Let us know uh, on the C Spire text line, or you can tweet at us at sports talk miss and I get a tweet uh, to my personal uh, from Nick that says terrible hire short-sighted he's gone at first head coach job offering well in college football if you're going to hire really really good coordinators 
you don't expect them to be with your program for for years. Bud Foster at Virginia Tech is an outlier. If if you really want to win at a high level, you're going to have coordinators that one want head coaching jobs and two may not be at your job for very long if they do a good job. Yeah, Rich Rodriguez may be gone after one season, but the only way he's going to leave after one season is if that offense improves. If they actually score touchdowns in the red zone, if they have a route tree in the passing game that um, actually forces defenses to make decisions, uh, that actually takes into account how good they are at wide receiver. So you're not going to hire coordinators that are going to be with your program for, for many years if they're good at what they do. It's very rare to find the Bud Foster in, in, in college football anymore. They don't really exist. If you're going to run a good program, you run the risk of, of staff members being taken by other programs, especially for job upgrades, if they're doing a good job. And Larry says on the text line, uh, hiring two former head coaches as your OC and DC will really help the overall flow of football team operations. Yeah, and I agree there. Um, I think... These two hires are a strong indication, if nothing else. And again, it doesn't dramatically change the program. We don't know. They have to coach games. We have to see what they do on the field. But it does show you, if you're an Ole Miss fan, that after a decade or more of of strong egos at the head coach, that this is an ego-free hire. This is Matt Luke, who has no head coaching experience and He's only been a head coach for a couple of seasons, hiring a couple of guys that have done it and that have done it at a high level that are going to have strong opinions. And There's an ego-free element here, which is refreshing in college football because there are too many head coaches that have it, and Ole Miss fans have seen that come to fruition for a very long time now. It's an indicator of how Matt Luke wants to be as a head coach, and it's somebody that there's no ego involved here. I don't know if his predecessor makes these kind of hires. Uh, people that have more experience, that have won games and won it at the highest level. I don't know if he would make his predecessor or even two predecessors ago would make these two hires. That program needed head coaching experience. Desperately needed it. And now they've got it in droves. I don't know of any program that I can think of in my memory that has two former head coaches that have been coach of the years uh, as offensive and defensive coordinator. So, fascinating hire there at Ole Miss. But again, it's just on paper. Uh, Things have to happen on the field uh, for this to really play out and and for this to be valid. But it's a a positive step in the very, very right direction if you're an Ole Miss fan. More coming up. We'll get your reaction. A couple more texts have come in about uh, the Rich Rodriguez hire, and we'll get to those next at Sports Talk in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the studio, Brian Scott Rippey with me here in Oxford. We talked with Brian Haydad earlier this afternoon from Tampa on the Farm Bureau phone line. 81 degrees currently in Tampa. Forecast tomorrow, 81 and sunny or mostly sunny, for the Outback Bowl. That's good, right? Better than here. Yes. It's, uh, it's been a little soupy today in North Mississippi. How's it been in Jackson today, Borky? It's rained all day long. 
we had okay. we had a, a light tornado threat i guess earlier today but it, yeah it's just it's rained and been ugly for new year's eve so i, I think we had a, a technical issue a, a few moments ago i know borky finished out that last segment uh, we didn't realize it we were still continuing to talk as if uh we were broadcasting to the entire state of mississippi you know what would be funny is if what? it was only me that couldn't hear you two and we both just talked over each other out over the air the entire last segment. Um, no, I'm not sure funny would be the way to describe <laughs> that. I, I think that would cause radios to uh, go off or to a different channel all over the state of Mississippi. So let's uh, let's try to avoid that if we can. One thing that, that Rippy and I were talking about a moment ago, thinking that we were on the air, was just the amount of change that there's been on the coaching staff for Ole Miss in the last two years, you're going to have a minimum of six changes over the last two years. So Charles Clark was hired as the 10th assistant a year ago. When Matt Luke got the permanent head coaching job, he obviously had to replace himself. He hires Jack McNell as the offensive line coach. You also bring in... Um, uh, Oh, goodness, John Sumrall as the linebackers coach. So that was a year ago. So those three, this year, a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, and still have to make a hire for tight ends coach to replace Maurice Harris. And then the question is, will there be any other changes on the staff? Rippy, you seem to think that it wouldn't be crazy at all to see at least one more, maybe two more changes on the staff before it's all said and done. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. I think that's only natural when you get – Two new coordinators in there, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But like we were talking about earlier, when we were unknowingly talking amongst ourselves, sure, it was, it was, um, it wasn't the. I mean, it turned out to be a pretty significant staff overall. It just kind of slowly and gradually happened as, as instead of, I guess, a kind of a mass shed right, right as the season ended. Yeah, and and there were certainly, um, there were certainly Ole Miss fans who will tell you now and would tell you then that they thought all of the changes should have happened immediately after Matt Luke got the head coaching job a year ago uh, for whatever the reason that didn't happen. He had a productive offense this year. It just wasn't uh, productive in the red zone and against some of the better SEC teams didn't have the success that a lot of people wanted to see. There was a great deal of frustration surrounding that on the offensive side. And so, yeah, there are people that wanted to see it happen faster. Wouldn't you give... Matt Luke, pretty high marks for the hires that he has made over the course of two years? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the ones he made before this season have obviously worked out very well. You, there, there's an argument to be made that Sumrall and Bicknell are the, you know, two of the best position coaches on staff, two, I mean, the two best. And then, if nothing else, I mean, whether it works out or not, at least the process was organized, right? In 16, when Freeze had to go replace both coordinators, there didn't seem to be kind of this a to B thing or a set process in place. I mean, I'm sure there was to some degree, but my overall point, I guess, is that Matt Luke seemed way more organized about it, right? Like with the Golding thing, it didn't work out. He immediately had a plan B on standby and they went with it. And I, I say plan B. It's a good hire. Mike McIntyre is a good hire. I don't mean to de- you know, diminish that by saying plan B, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like one thing didn't work out. He had another one on reserve and kind of jumped to it immediately before things lingered. Offensive coordinator lingered a little bit longer, but it didn't it didn't get to the point where you felt like you were scrambling. Tennessee has had an offensive coordinator opening for over a month now. 
Yeah, and I was actually even thinking if you want to, if you want to go to like the poster child of a horrible process that backfired, their head coaching search last year comes to mind where, you know, sure. there was so much dysfunction and utter confusion. So you didn't have that. So yeah, and it's two guys that have had experience as head coaches at multiple schools. And so whether they work out or not remains to be seen. But I would, yes, to answer your question in a very long-winded way, I would give him pretty high marks for the two hires. The NFL playoffs are now set after everything went final. It took it went to the final game of the regular season to finalize the playoffs. The Colts and the Titans last night in Nashville Colts led early, Titans got back in it, relatively close at halftime. Well, I guess they were down 24-10 at the half. It's 24-17. Game ends up 33-17. It was the final. Did it ever feel to you like the Titans were going to get it done? No, not even close. Even when they got it to 24-17. No, I'm not just saying that. If you watch the game, the game played out in such a bizarre fashion. As it, like my, I was watching the game with my roommate last night, and he said, man, this is a seven-point game. But it doesn't feel like the Titans have ever been in this. This whole game has been just bizarre. I was like, this is pretty much 16 episodes of this every year with the Titans. But So no, it did not. I, I did not feel like they were ever in the game. Blaine Gabbert was awful. If Mariota, is it different if Mariota plays last night? Sure. I don't know if they win the game because the Colts are good. And Andrew Luck is really good. That's one of the better, probably the best comeback story in the NFL this year. But I'm not sure if it would have made a difference. I think most people would have felt like the Titans were in the game as opposed to never in it, even though the deficit wasn't that big if Mariota was under center. So who knows? It, it, what they do with he's under his rookie contract for one more year. What they do with him after that is going to be interesting because you can't pay a guy like that, you know, a, a full fledged second, you know, level deal when he's never on the field. The playoffs, as I said, are now set, and there are four wild card games next weekend. You, you tell me which one's not worth watching. Really? Colts at Texans. The Chargers at the Ravens. Ravens end up with the four seed. The Eagles at the Bears. It's two hot teams all of a sudden. Yeah, a little bit of a question mark, though, with Nick Foles and whether or not he's going to be healthy enough to go. Seahawks at Cowboys. Which of those four games is the best game? That's tough. Chargers-Ravens. I think you're right. I think a a semi-close second is probably Texans-Colts because Indy's already gone into Houston and won once this year. And and I'm sitting here looking at Seahawks-Cowboys thinking that's probably the one that's the best game, uh, you know, out out of all. It's... You've come a long way from Bengals Texans on the ESPN wild card game that no one wants to watch, or that Connor Cook Raiders game against the Texans a couple years ago that was just oh, horrible. Do you oh, remember that? that was yeah, terrible. Awful. So, yeah, the NFL has been wildly entertaining this year, and it it's produced, like you said, I mean, four great games next weekend on wild card weekend because you know wild card weekend you can always get great ones in every slot. So on Saturday, Indianapolis at Houston is at 335. It's a simulcast on ESPN and ABC. Seattle at Dallas is at 715 on Fox. You you, you think that game's going to do a rating? Holy cow. I mean, you, you get the Cowboys, which basically everybody watches, 
a big-time West Coast team, a primetime spot on Fox, that'll do a massive number. And then on Sunday, the early game, the noon game, is Los Angeles at Baltimore. Ravens defense, really good. And then Philadelphia at Chicago is the afternoon game, and it'll be, what, like four degrees at kickoff? <laughs> if if you're the Bears, I, I know you had – I'm not saying they should have lost the game because you wanted to keep the outside hope of a two-seed alive, but wouldn't you rather face the Vikings again? Wouldn't you – like, in, in hindsight, like, if because if they'd have lost, they'd have played the Vikings again. I wouldn't want to face Foles and the Eagles. I would much rather face Kirk Cousins and that Vikings team. Is it because they're the reigning Super Bowl champs or because you think they're getting it together at the right time of the year? I'm kind of superstitious, so I think there's some weird thing going on with Foles and quarterbacks of that team. But logically speaking, they're playing much better football with him than the Vikings are. Three in a row and five of their last six for the uh, the Eagles. They beat the Giants beat the Redskins, lost by six to the Cowboys, then beat the Rams on the road, beat the Texans at home, and then yesterday blanked the Redskins 24 to nothing. Did you see the note about Foles and his contract? Was due a million-dollar bonus. There, there were two stipulations. What if he got him, if they got to the postseason and he played 33% of the snaps? Because of his rib injury, he comes out yesterday late, having played 32% of the snaps. Will the Eagles still pay him? Will they still give him the million bucks? Or are they going to say, look, man, contract was a contract? I would hope they would pay him. He, he, he did lead you to a Super Bowl win last year. And you really need him to have some incentive to get healthy and play and try and win a playoff game against the Bears on the road this week. I mean, what's a million bucks to a billionaire, right? R- write the check. Tell the man he's going to get his little bonus and give him a little more incentive to get back on the field. Just saying. Just after 5 o'clock with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the studio, and Brian Scott Rippey with me right here. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. You're thinking about building a dream home on a piece of property, maybe just outside the city limits? Mississippi Land Bank has been financing land and land-related needs for 100 years. As we're about to turn the calendar, I guess we can say for over 100 years. They know the lay of the land, and that's the reason that it's worth giving them a call. Well, in addition to the fact that you're dealing with some of the finest people that you will ever meet. They are honest, they are fair, they are Mississippians, and they care about helping you. You can find a branch location online at mslandbank.com. You can find a phone number as well. So enjoy your day off tomorrow for New Year's Day. And then when you roll back into work on Wednesday, you can uh, you can pull that website up, find a contact info, or maybe stop by one of the branch locations in North Mississippi to help you with your land financing needs. We're glad to have you along right ta- now. It is time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com end of the year. You're just about out of time to take care of the uh, take advantage of the year-end savings event. 
Man, they've had some great deals. And maybe if you hurry, you can still catch one of them at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Log on buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Start with the scoreboard update. Missouri just got into the end zone. It is now... Uh-oh, flag on the play. We'll have to wait and see. Pending the outcome of this penalty, 28-22. Oklahoma State currently leading 28-16. Holding on the offense. 10-yard penalty from the previous spot. Replay second down. No touchdown on a blown coverage by Oklahoma State. It's a bummer, right? Those are really great helmets. I hadn't seen those until now. <laughs> that, that's your takeaway? If you think about like the old LSU Tiger, kind of cartoon-looking Tiger, really similar to that. Really similar to that. Um, got a little bit of... A little M up on the hat of the tiger. It's that cartoon-shaped-looking tiger on the uh, on the white helmet. So Missouri in all white and Oklahoma State in all black today in Memphis at the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. So college football playoff discussion dominated Twitter on Saturday night, and there are a lot of people that were saying, "Oh, I told you Georgia should have been in." While um, Notre Dame was being dismantled by Clemson. If you rewind to the conversations we had, I think where I settled on all of that was I believe Georgia is one of the best four teams in the country, based on what I've seen with my own eyes. But there was never any chance the playoff committee was putting a two-loss Georgia team in over an undefeated Notre Dame or a one-loss conference champion in Ohio State or a one-loss conference champion in Oklahoma. Just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, but, even though it should have happened. Both of those things can be true, but I think obviously breaking news people on the internet struggle with nuance. <laughs> but um, I think I saw Borky say something about this over the weekend on Twitter. But it was some people were using Saturday as an argument against expansion, saying the games would get worse. But in a lot of ways. Why would you not expand it so you can get Georgia and Ohio State in there as opposed to having to watch that as your semifinal well, games? Well, and, and think about it. So, okay, the 1-8 and the 2-7 games, in most years, probably are not going to be overly competitive. But the 3-6 and the 4-5 games ought to be fantastic. And to add on to that, even in the NFL, it's that way a lot of the times. Like, the wild card game sometimes, if you catch a really good three seed or whatever it is, it's not always a great game. But does it mean they should shrink it and eliminate the game? Yeah. No, I, I, go ahead, Borky. I, I'm sorry. Go I'm going to butt in here um, if yeah. you guys don't mind. Um, it would eliminate the boring. The playoffs this year are boring. There's three games, two of which weren't even close. And even though I guess it became a shootout later, Alabama was in complete control of that football game for the entire duration of that football game. They were significantly better than Oklahoma. That 3-6 game that you mentioned, the 4-5 game, would add more meaningful football games that would be competitive because right now the absence of parity and the absence of multiple meaningful games during bowl season has created this atmosphere of bore. An atmosphere of bore. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Um, most of the time, yeah, in the semifinal games. Now, there are outliers, right? I mean, 
Oklahoma-Georgia in the Rose Bowl last year, one of the best college football games you'll ever watch. But you've also got Clemson-Notre Dame this year. You've got the Alabama-Michigan State game from a couple of years ago. Clemson beat Ohio State 31 to nothing. Awful. So, yeah, you you get some of that. Notre Dame's resume now in BCS and playoff games is abysmal. It's not real good. The games aren't even competitive. No. So we talked about this on, it was either Thursday or Friday show. It was Friday show. Friday, okay. At what point do you start second-guessing Notre Dame no matter what they do until they join a conference? Because, I mean, you keep throwing them in these things, and these games aren't even competitive. Did Notre Dame earn its way in? No. Did they deserve to be? Well, hold on. Did they deserve to be there based on what they did in the regular season? I say yes, just because the schedule was competitive enough, but you look past that with other teams. You've you've had years. I mean, it was competitive enough, I think, to warrant a playoff berth to where, in my eyes, it's not like they played UCF. There, there's there's a line, and Notre Dame's on one side of it, and like you said, UCF's on the other. So I think it's competitive enough, but I also think it's bad enough to where you can start second guessing it. Do you remember those years? It's happened twice, I think, where Wisconsin went to the Big Ten title game and undefeated, and pretty much even if they lost, like if they lost that game, despite being a one loss team, people were giving them no shot. Like to get in, I guess if they got yeah. beaten by Ohio State, like I, that's a long-winded point. But like, at what point do you start looking at Notre Dame in that light too? Yeah. Because Wisconsin's in that bad Big Ten division, sure. not playing strong teams. Uh, I think the greatest tweet of the night was, "This is all Vanderbilt's fault." <laughs> Vanderbilt could have ended all of this. They gave that game away in South Bend. Vanderbilt should have won that game in week three. Was they, it week three? It was, yes, week three, and they fumbled the ball going into the end zone, like on the one-yard line twice in that game, lost by five. Yeah. And missed a field goal for whatever that's worth. Yeah. So, uh, Vandy could have taken care of everything. Look, I tweeted this on Saturday night. I'm paraphrasing here, but it's really close to verbatim. If you are not one of about 12 teams, and that may be an exaggerated number, then I hope you like college football. I hope you love college football for reasons other than hoping your team can win a national championship. Because as of right now, that's it. I think there are about 12 teams that in a given year, if the circumstances are right, could win a national championship. I think there's one team in the Pac-12, and that's Southern Cal. Well, Richard, it goes back to what we do every preseason, the blue I, no, chip I, index. I, yeah, I know. I, I, I'm with you. You don't think Washington? No. Nope. Okay. Well, Washington with Jacob Eason? Probably not. Win a national championship? Hey, I could get to the playoff. So I think it's just Southern Cal out of the Pac-12. Out of the Big 12, Oklahoma and Texas. Out of the Big 10, Ohio State, Michigan, and maybe Penn State. Out of the ACC, Clemson. And if they figure things out, Florida State should be in this mix. Well, I mean, they won one less than sure. six years ago. So, so, so I, I think it's okay to put Florida State there. 
And in the SEC, it's clearly Alabama, clearly Georgia, Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher as the head coach, LSU, Auburn, maybe Auburn, maybe Florida, and maybe Florida. I'll go Auburn and Florida. So that's seven teams out of the SEC, two from the ACC to make nine, three from the Big Ten to make 12, 13, 14, so that's a total of 15 teams that I think on a year-in, year-out basis, if things are running the way they should in those programs, can win a national championship. And that's it. And that's kind of sad, but I hope you have other reasons that you love college football. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, on New Year's Eve this Monday afternoon. So Borky said he was going to a fancy schmancy restaurant tonight. Told him he said it was a really nice restaurant, five course meal. You getting dressed up for it, Borky? Yeah, I mean I'm not wearing a tux or anything, but I will be looking as good as as my ugly mug can look. Yeah, it won't be looking as good as your wife looks, but no, you know. but that's that's an impossible task that I learned will never happen. We yeah, got I our wedding that, pictures like, back. Oh my gosh, Richard, we got our wedding pictures back, and every single one she would flip through and say, "Oh, I love this one," and I'm thinking, "Oh, I'm so ugly. What are you doing here?" Like the contrast yeah. of all of right. So her what are you, you going to do about it? There's no. I mean, it's too late now. I mean, she's locked in. So i'm all no 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 i I didn't say she was going to leave you because you thought you were ugly i was saying you look at yourself and you go oh i'm ugly so what are you going to do about it (laughs) i mean getting back to the gym are you going to get a haircut are you going to go get a spray tan my hair is the only thing only benefit to my look that i've got so i've got to keep that intact rippy what are you doing for new year's eve um my girlfriend's in town here so we'll probably go eat at bourree and Maybe hang out for a bit on the square. I'm not sure I'll be doing. I'm not sure I'll be making it out till twelve. Will you see the ball drop in New York at eleven? Probably from my house after I've gotten some chicken on a stick. Okay, so you're gonna do dinner and chicken on a stick. It's yeah. like your late night dessert. Pretty much. Um. Okay. I think I've got five kids under the age of eight in addition to my three that are uh, are coming to our house tonight. Which means this will be a different type of New Year's celebration than I've ever been a part of before. Are you a fireworks chaperone? Like, will you have them shooting off sparklers and stuff in the backyard? You know, maybe. I'm a big fireworks guy. But... I haven't gotten any. And fireworks aren't nearly as much fun on nights when it's cloudy and kind of like misty as opposed to getting the spectacular explosions. You just get like smoke clouds that are down low. So I don't know. We'll see. The uh, the sparklers scare me a little bit with this age also. Those things burn so hot. Yeah, and they're ironically supposed to be the safe fireworks, but you're basically giving a kid a fire stick. Yeah. I like the Roman candles. Just let them shoot fireballs off into the air as well. It's a good question. I, I may make a fireworks run after the uh, after the show tonight before I come home. And I got to clean that stuff up in the yard too. Good news is everything's so wet. It's not like you're going to catch anything on fire. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um. So on the college football playoff, the the two games 
In in succession, early on Saturday afternoon, late Saturday afternoon, you had that Clemson-Notre Dame game. You look at the numbers. I mean, Ian Book for Notre Dame, the quarterback, 17-34 for 160. Just didn't do much of anything. Dexter Williams had 54 yards rushing. They didn't do anything on the ground. And then you look at Clemson's numbers. Is Trevor Lawrence good? Can't decide. 27 of 39, 327 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Travis Etienne, 109 yards on 14 carries. He averaged 7.8 yards per carry. Is there a running back that hits the hole faster and harder than Travis Etienne? Probably not. And the thing is, Notre Dame up front defensively had a really good game, believe it or not, despite getting dominated. And then there was one hole that he hit. Yeah. What is it? Fourth was quarter, it like a right? 60 yard run that's that sealed the game really but I mean they were playing well and playing well and playing well and that kid gets one sliver of space and he turns it into a 60 yard run he's unbelievable um is Hunter Renfro at this point like part of the state retirement system at Clemson <laughs> I mean, he's got to be eligible for retirement benefits by now. CBS uh, put a really good tweet out. They they photoshopped Hunter Renfro's face into a an old grainy like 1927 <laughs> game, and nobody got it. Thirty to three was the final. An absolutely dominating performance by Clemson over Notre Dame. Game was three to three at the end of the first quarter. Clemson led 23-3 to at the half, added a touchdown in the third quarter, and then just ran out the clock in the fourth, and they went at 30-3. to And that without their, arguably, their best defensive player as well. Yeah, no, we're really talking about that after it was all said and done, huh? No, especially when Cleveland Farrell played as well as he did. That's the thing about Clemson. It, they, they lost a first-round NFL defensive lineman. Well, guess what? They have three more first-round potential NFL defensive lineman. So, I mean, what's one if you got three more? What an embarrassment of riches in the backfield for Alabama at the running back position. I mean, Damian Harris is the starter, although he's not carried a starter's workload all season long. He established the running game early, had two rushing touchdowns. Najee Harris was big in the SEC championship game. He has six carries for 45 yards. But I think the most explosive runner for Alabama is Josh Jacobs. 15 carries for 98 yards. He averaged 6.5 yards per carry. Also had four catches for 60 yards and a touchdown. So much is made of Tua Tagovailoa and his accuracy. You know, you know who doesn't get enough credit? Alabama's wide receivers. Because, yes, Tua Tagovailoa puts the ball in places where only they can make plays. But those guys make some unbelievable catches. Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddell, Irv Smith, the tight end, Henry Ruggs. The, the collection of weapons that Alabama has in the passing game, I think, is underrated and undervalued, even though Judy won the Bolitnikoff Award this year. Am, am I crazy for, for thinking that? So you're saying a bunch of four and five stars are really, really, really good? But you're right, though. Usually, they do get overshadowed be- because of Tua and, and all of that stuff. Absolutely. I mean, collectively, it's probably one of the stronger receiving corps Saban's had on a single team. I would say the strongest 
it's all it's like there's been one stud whether it was uh, Julio Jones or Calvin Ridley or who's the other guy I'm thinking of Amari Cooper Amari Cooper so I mean those have been three studs and there are always other good receivers there but I mean Devontae Smith goes six for 104 in a touchdown Judy goes four for 73 in a touchdown. Jacobs with the four catches out of the backfield. Damian Harris has two out of the backfield. Waddle would start for just about anybody in the country. Ruggs would start for just about anybody in the country. I mean, they've got four NFL wide receivers to go with everything else that they've got. 45-34 was the final. Alabama led 21-0 in the game. It was 31-10 at halftime. Oklahoma outscored Alabama 10-0 in the third quarter, and then it was a draw in the fourth quarter. 28 fourth-quarter points scored by the two teams. Alabama Kyler Murray's going to play 70. baseball, right? Yeah. What, what, oh, serious question, though. Why is he even talking about, well, I could play in the NFL, and, and I know I could be successful? If you're the Oakland Athletics, and you have him talking like that, and now you've got people saying that, well, he hasn't fully decided whether or not. What do you do if you're the A's right now? Nothing. You sit and wait. There's nothing they can do. Didn't he sign a contract contingent on this was his last season playing football? Yeah, he did. It would just void the contract, though. He'd have to give the money back from the signing bonus if he elected to go to the draft and not go play baseball for the A's. Your life, do what you want, but that would be a really bad decision, right? Well, depending on where he got drafted. If it were me, and this is like seven months after the contract was signed, there would be no money to give back. <laughs> like, how? I'm, seriously, though, like hey, he's probably, I mean... But there will be signed. money to give back once he signs an NFL contract if he's a first-round draft pick. That's also true. And by the way, if he is drafted in the first round by an NFL team, he's going to get more money on that contract than he gets for his initial baseball contract. It'll be a bigger deal than the $4.6 million deal that the A's gave him as a first-rounder at number 9 overall. So you're thinking he's for sure... He's a small... I get he's electric, but you think... He's 5'9". He's not playing in the NFL. Right, but just just say lightning struck and he decides to. Do you think he's for sure a first-round pick? No, I think they're... I think it only takes one team. Right, you got to remember Tim Tebow was a first-round draft pick. True. Kyler Murray and Tim Tebow are not even comparable in their passing ability. And the NFL is a throwing league. It's a passing league. Or in their baseball ability. <laughs> this is also true. Now, the, the problem is most guys that get drafted don't get to the big leagues. So that's the risk you're running. Now, I mean, you go three or four years, you don't get to the big leagues, I guess you come back and you take a shot at the NFL if you're Kyler Murray. You've seen that happen before. And it would be easier to do that as opposed to vice versa, because if you try the NFL and it doesn't work out, no one wants a 26-year-old outfielder. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.